Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, July 7th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs discusses the state of the COVID-19 pandemic. Then USM launches a digital archive of Civil War governor's letters. And we return to our conversation with Representative Benny Thompson as he prepares to lead the January 6th Select Committee. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The COVID-19 pandemic isn't over in Mississippi as vaccination rates remain low and the highly transmissible Delta variant spreads throughout the Deep South, much of the state remains vulnerable to infection. That's the message State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs wants urgently for Mississippians to hear. He speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. You know, we have come a long way with COVID, but I think it's important for everyone to remember that we're not done with it yet, especially with the large number of Mississippians who are not vaccinated, who are not protected against COVID. We have challenges. We have the Delta variant, which is now the predominant strain circulating in Mississippi, and that's a problem for a few reasons. I mean, one of the reasons is it's way more contagious. So those vulnerable folks that are out there who are going to be exposed to it are going to be more likely than ever to get it with the Delta variant. But on the plus side, the good news is it looks like the vaccines that we have available to us today are very effective against the Delta variant. In Louisiana, they've identified what they're calling a Delta Plus variant. Have you read much up on this? And should Mississippians be concerned about it coming into our state? We have not identified any of these Delta Plus variants thus far, but but it is, yes. I mean, I think we definitely should be worried about it. I mean, this is the Delta variant is not going to be the last variant we see. And the longer that we leave ourselves vulnerable, the more likely we are to see these variants sort of wreak havoc on these unimmune parts of our population. Now, Mississippi has seen a small resurgence in hospitalizations recently. We saw the lowest we've been in in about a year at just 91 people a few weeks ago. And then now we're back up to 145. Do you think this is going to be part of an an upwards trend? I think for sure this is a trend related to increasing cases from the Delta variant. I mean, this is something, 
that we've been anticipating for a while. We have too many vulnerable people in Mississippi. We have too many who are non-immune. And now we have this highly contagious variant. You know, there's nothing different about COVID as far as making people sick and, and making people ill. I, there is one point I do want to make, though. You know, get vaccinated. We know that's the best way to protect yourself. But if you do get diagnosed with COVID, please talk to your doctor. And a lot of people are eligible for the antibody treatment, the monoclonal antibodies. They're, uh, you know, available throughout the state. They are effective at preventing hospitalization, and it looks like preventing death also. So vaccine is, is you know, is, is the main way to prevent COVID. But if you get it and you have any medical issues whatsoever or, you know, if really just if you get it at all, just talk to your doctor about the antibody treatment. If somebody does seek the antibody treatment, how soon should they try to get that? Immediately. Normally it's within 10 days of symptoms, but the sooner you take it after contracting COVID, the better off you are. We've seen higher transmission rates among these younger people that are unvaccinated, people below the age of 65. Those people are typically more resistant to the virus compared to somebody age 65 or immunocompromised Mississippians. Should they still be concerned about these variants? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are seeing an increasing proportion of our hospitalizations and deaths in our middle-aged tiers, right, our 40s and stuff. A lot of our deaths have been in 50-year-old folks. I mean, people are more vulnerable than they think they are. It's a a common Mississippi fallacy where people think that, you know, I'm tough, I can get over it. But, you know, we're an obese state, right? We're overweight. We have chronic medical issues. We have high blood pressure. And these are people who are at high risk for bad outcomes. But it doesn't mean even if you're healthy, though, you can still get COVID. Even if you're young and healthy, you can still have bad things happen. Or you're young and healthy, you can pass it on to other people who you love. So there's just so many reasons to just let's just extinguish this stupid pandemic and don't be stubborn about it. Are there any groups or communities that you see as uh, are at increased risk of coronavirus transmission still, especially as we see these coronavirus variants? Absolutely. There are some groups that I'm very worried about. Obviously, the folks who are unvaccinated. If you're 65 and you're unvaccinated or over, you have desperately need to get vaccinated soon. We have about, you know, a quarter of our 65 plus who haven't been vaccinated. If you're over 50, if you have high blood pressure, if you are overweight at all, you're at risk for bad outcomes. But there's another group that I think we need to be very thoughtful about. It's people who have weakened immune systems, people who have been on cancer treatment or maybe had a a transplant or dialysis or on immune-suppressing drugs. A lot of people are on these medications. We know that they do not respond as well to the vaccine. That's something we're learning more and more. So if you are somebody who has a weakened immune system for one of these reasons or for another reason, we still do encourage you to be safe, to be cautious when you're out, you know, wear a mask when you're in public, avoid large social gatherings, and even talk to your doctor about is it worth getting an antibody test and maybe even getting a third dose to boost your immunity. Last week, Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, spoke, was speaking about Mississippi and said that because of Mississippi's low coronavirus vaccination rates, he would be concerned about coming to the state without wearing a mask in public, even though he's vaccinated. What, what, what are your thoughts on that comment, and what would you tell Mississippians who have already gotten the vaccine? Masks are a good adjunctive measure to prevent transmission. You know, it it, it just is. And still, uh, personally, when I'm in an indoor setting, if I go to the store or a restaurant or something to pick up some food, I wear a mask because it is an added layer of protection. And we know that a lot of people walking around are not immunized. You know, I certainly don't think that we need to go back to any sort of mandated mask situation. But I think for personal protection, it makes sense for people, especially with this Delta variant circulating, and especially if you are immunocompromised, to, to wear a mask. And it, there's nothing imprudent about wearing a mask, right, in public. And so, you know, it's not a bad idea. Coronavirus is still here.
Dr. Dobbs, is there anything else we might not have touched on that you just like to echo for Mississippians so they can understand, you know, where the state is, what they need to be doing, and what the, the future of coronavirus transmission in the state could be? The last thing, you know, the vaccines are very safe, they're effective, and they're widely available. So, you know, one of the easiest things to do is go to vaccine.gov, and you can even select what vaccine you want. And they're readily available, walk-ins throughout the state. We're having them available in every, you know, pretty much every county health department. So safe, effective, and widely available and free. So if you haven't gotten a vaccine yet, now's the time. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs, thank you for talking with us today. Uh, Thank you. Coming up, a new project makes letters to Mississippi Civil War governors accessible to everyone. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The University of Southern Mississippi's Civil War and Reconstruction Governors of Mississippi's project seeks to digitize a trove of more than 20,000 letters written to Mississippi governors during and after wartime. An initial catalog of about 2,000 documents is already available online. History professor Susanna Yorl leads the undertaking. What we did when we were transcribing and tagging documents, and the tagging is what creates the historical context, the annotation, we wanted to make sure people who were non-experts in the field could use this. It's all going to be freely available to the public, but if it isn't accessible, you've got 20,000 documents that nobody knows what to do with. And so we created these categories. So one category, for example, is places. One category is occupations um, and organizations. One category is just people. So if you're just interested in family history or certain individuals, one of the interesting categories that we created is social identifiers. So it's going to help us find the people who may not fit into the standard categories, people like military families, widows, African-Americans, orphans. And so these categories, these these identifiers, if you want to think about them that way, helps people use the collection. It just makes it more usable. Otherwise, it's it's a document dump. Let me tell you, I went through, oh, I suppose 15 letters or so from each of the featured categories right now. And I'll have to go back. I mean, talk about being drawn in and the differences between. I want to start with the military. There was one woman, Carolyn Ball, in 1861, wrote to Governor Pettus that her youngest son went off to war to be a drummer and that her other children, I think there were five boys altogether, they were all older, they were fighting. She was okay with that, but she wanted the 17-year-old back, and she referred to him as a little boy, and she needed him at home. Now, what broke my heart and intrigued me was, I wonder if she ever got him home. We don't hear letters back from Governor Pettis or any other governor, so it's... uh, it makes me want to go try and research and find Good. out what happened with this kid. That's Did what we're hoping. <laughs> some, in some cases, we're featuring these in our blog posts that are going to be started, that are going to be released starting this this fall, where graduate students, undergrad students, even just members of the public can write for us and say, "Hey, I researched this story, and here's the backstory to fill in." There was another woman, Mary Stevenson, who asked the governor help her go to Florida because her husband, who was a soldier, asked her to come there. He needed her help, right. and she said, "I'm poor." Also, her uh, vocabulary was limited. Her spelling was really um, 
<laughs> deplorable in a sense. So obviously she was uneducated and she was poor and she said, I need this help to get there. And if you help me get there, I will nurse the soldiers who are there. Right, which is not A, an uncommon letter, and B, that ability to hear from somebody who, again, you're not going to hear from her in traditional history works because she's not preserving her letters. She's not keeping a diary. These are the people who you won't normally hear from in 19th century America. This is some of the value of this collection. In the category of African Americans, it was interesting, disturbing in, in many senses. You had uh, men writing asking for the governor to bring somebody back from war who would be an overseer for the slaves who they referred to as Negroes. I think all of the letter writers referred to them as Negroes and saying, you know, there's no one to oversee them. That means they're going to they're going to go into town and cause havoc and and be horrible yeah. and, you know, take over the world kind of thing. Well, it was a, it was this this fear among white Southerners, the, this constant fear of maybe a slave revolt, a slave uprising, something perhaps less minor. Enslaved peoples won't be working as effectively. But you see this again and again. And what we're looking forward to, we only have the first two document, 2000, excuse me, documents up so far. But as we get into the later, later periods of the war and into Reconstruction, seeing more and more African-American actors within the collection and hearing from them. All right. The third category. <laughs> that's featured right now is disease and illness. And I did a little research. Two-thirds of Confederate troops died not from being killed in battle, but of infection. Yes. Two-thirds and of soldiers. And it's north and south. Um, most Civil War soldiers, you're absolutely right, it's kind of a two-to-one ratio. You, you are far more likely to die of disease than you were of any sort of combat injury. And this is a big category. There are a lot of pages here uh, and a lot of letters. <laughs> yes. And and most of them, or no, I shouldn't say most because I've only read some, but uh, I've only read a few <laughs> relatively compared to how big these categories are. But a mother asking for her son to come home because he's sick or one man who said, I've been sick. I'm not going to live through the winter if I can't go home. Plus, I need to take care of my plantation and I promise I'll plant crops and then give them back to the government for soldiers. I mean, people just begging to be let go or they're begging. I'll offer this if you'll help me out. Absolutely. They're often begging for a release and it's it's usually not going to happen because, of course, there's such a, a military demand. But I think the other cool thing about the disease, illness and disease category is that it also lets you see what's happening in Mississippi regardless of war. There were always these letters coming in of problems with illness and disease. So it makes the collection valuable to people who may not be historians but may be interested in in medical history, or there's a lot of appeals to the governor for a pardon, for example. This is who you appealed to. If you're interested in the law, if you're interested in criminal justice, I'm going to be interested to see if we can track who's who's writing into the governor for appeals. And again, how does this change? Which, which classes are being helped and which are not? Among the 20,000 documents, or actually you said how many, how many it's, It'll be pages? a little over 20,000 documents, probably over 50,000 50, pages. pages. All right. What stands out to you? Is there an individual letter that you went, oh, you know, it just really left its mark on you? Two things. Probably the military families writing in saying, you've got to help us. Like, I can't, you know, my husband went to war and the deal was the community was going to help take care of us and we are destitute and my husband's dead and I don't know what to do. Also, the documents that are starting to show and highlight African-American experiences through that process of emancipation. There's a great letter that comes in from a man named Lambert Moore, who was a businessman. And during the war, he had been enslaved. He hired himself out. He made some money and he paid a portion of those earnings to the man who owned him. 
Well, right at the end of the war, there's a tax on your wartime earnings. And Lambert Moore hires some attorneys to write to the governor and say, look, I basically already paid a tax on my earnings. So you can ask the sheriff to remit this tax that he just took from me, or you can find out a way to compensate me for my period of being enslaved. And there's this great little note at the bottom of the back page of the document that just says remit, as in the governor basically said, give him back his money. We're not going to tackle this other (laughs) massive issue that we are still dealing with today. Susanna Ural is a history professor at USM, and you can find the letters we've mentioned here, along with hundreds more, at cwrgm.org. Coming up, we return to our conversation with Representative Benny Thompson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. On yesterday's show, Congressman Benny Thompson described the prolonged congressional skullduggery that landed him at the helm of the House Select Committee on the January 6th Capitol riot. Going forward, Thompson can expect even more squabbling and scrutiny from his colleagues, all while he leads an investigation that's complex enough on its own. Thompson's task is Herculean, if not Sisyphean, but he points to his experience as chair of the Homeland Security Committee as evidence he's the man for the job. Again, he speaks with MPB's Rob Lane. I can assure everyone in Mississippi as well as around the country We will strictly have a fact-based investigation. We will have lawyers and professional investigators who do this for a living. And what they will do is bring back to our committee what they find. And I'm absolutely convinced that that will be an unbiased report based on the facts. But now, again, all of us who were there on January 6th, those of uh, you who are listening to this interview, you saw with your own eyes what happened. It was horrible. We are the greatest democracy known to man. And for that to almost come to the point that our government was overthrown by people who called themselves patriots of all things, is totally unimaginable. And as long as I'm a member of Congress, and as long as I chair this select committee, I take great pride in making sure that the product we produce will guarantee that that will never, ever happen again. A lot of Republicans, including several prominent ones, feel as though the formation of the committee, even in and of itself, is partisan, that it's even a political stunt. Will that perception affect your demeanor or your decisions as chairman of it? Uh, Not at all. As I I said, I have a reputation of being bipartisan in Washington. Uh, My committee is probably the most bipartisan committee uh, 
there now. Uh, my ranking member and I worked out an agreement that gave Democrats and Republicans the same number of members on the commission. Uh, we gave subpoena power to both the chair and vice chair of the committee. We defined the scope based on what uh, Minority Leader uh, McCarthy said. And after we agreed to everything he asked for and put it in writing, what he asked for, uh, when it got time to vote in the House of Representatives, he asked Republicans to vote against it. So you can't have it both ways. You can't ask people to do certain things, and they do it, and then you vote against it, you leave us no choice but to come back and put a group together that's willing to work. And uh, now you say, oh, uh, it's a partisan group. Give me a break. Representative McCarthy has yet to make recommendations for the final five committee members. Do you expect him to? Is there a timeline for that? And what's your game plan if he doesn't? Well, under the uh, resolution passed by the House of Representatives, eight members uh, makes up a quorum. Uh, we have a quorum. We go forward. We would love to have his five recommendations as soon as possible. But if he chooses not to and work it out with the speaker, we go forward with the members who currently make up the composition of the select committee. So far, Representative Liz Cheney is the lone Republican appointed by the Speaker. Are you pleased that she's part of the panel? She comes from a historic Republican family. Her daddy has as much Republican lineage as anybody in this country. But when she said she would choose patriotism over politics any day, her stature went up big time, not just with me, but with a lot of people in this country, because she was the number three person in the House of Representatives. And she said, I was there that day. I saw what happened. And we are a better country than this. And so for people to say that what happened on January 6th was the equivalent of a tour of the Capitol, I just want to go back and look at the film of the people breaking in and say, now, does that remind you of any tour that you've ever been on? Or is this something that you are in denial of? And for a lot of us, our embarrassment turns to anger because they came so close to getting, to toppling the leadership of this country. In that building, we had the vice president, who's next in line to the president. We had the speaker of the house, who's next in line to the vice president, if something happened. And then all the elected leaders of the Republican and Democratic Party, they all were at risk because of what happened. So... For those individuals who were misled, as you know, the Justice Department has brought charges against over 500 people, 
and they're still looking for people. I want them to catch every individual who broke into the United States Capitol, who were either informed or ill-informed as to what was going on, and prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this? No, I assure your uh, listening audience that the product we produce will be fact-based and totally in line with the charge given the committee. It won't be a political document. It will be a document to protect this great democracy of ours so that whether you call yourself a patriot or whatever, you still have to follow the laws of the land. You can't overthrow the greatest democracy in the world. And I don't want the people in this country to ever have to face what a lot of us faced on January 6th. It was not who we are as a country. And those people who try to come with some argument for the gangsters who broke into the Capitol, shame on them. Representative Thompson, thanks for talking with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.